0: Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.
1: Hey, this is Rob. And when I'm not busy regulating the transmission rates of our public utilities, I'm stacking Benjamin's. Yeah.
2: Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'll bet you noticed the lack of theme music today. You know, all the big recording artists do acapella and uh, acoustic versions of their songs, and they're usually like huge hits, am I right? So it's not a stretch to think that an acapella version of this podcast is finally what it's going to take to get this show all the way up to three whole listeners. Well, that and the fact that on today's show, we have the story behind one family who paid off their house in less than five years and all on a less than six-figure salary. Please welcome from his and her money, Talent McNeely. Plus, in our headline segment, what questions should you ask a financial advisor? We'll share some favorites, and we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline answer a listener letter, and share some of my amazing trivia. All gloriously a cappella. And now, two guys who are probably going to struggle with this new format. Eh, Let's be honest, they were struggling with the old format too. Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G! Hey, it's Acapella Monday.
0: Welcome to another episode of the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Saul Average Show Money on Twitter. And O-G, we are doing this without theme music today.
1: Without theme music, huh? None. Well, I'm fresh from the quarantine division of the basement. you got to stay way As over. As you can probably tell.
0: Stay way, way, way over on six, that side of the six table. Six foot
1: radius, that's what they say. Please. That's... If you breathe when I on cough, me. That's how I can go. That's it, can go six feet. So you got to stay over there.
0: That's really why I wanted today to be a cappella, was so you wouldn't go singing, dancing like you usually do. You know?
1: Isn't a cappella singing, though? Just without music?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, please refrain from singing as well. I got to get the definition okay. of what but the I But I <laughs> can do all the dancing I want. As long as you dance on that side of the basement, I okay. am good. Hey everybody, and across the card table from me, I already referred to him as OG. He's the other guy who we call affectionately OG. Or as we call him today, Mr. Hundred and Two Degree Temperature.
1: Okay. Thankfully not that high anymore, but uh man, it's been a week. <whistles> that's what you get for getting on airplanes at Christmas time.
0: Yeah, that's weird. Recycled air and uh people touching all the hand rests and stuff.
1: I seriously I'm the guy that walks through the airport with my like hands in my pocket, you know, because
3: yeah.
0: Cheryl yeah. thinks I'm paranoid because I go onto planes and I do the clean wipes on everything, uh-huh. like at our table. But I've had too many. This is going to be gross. But I too, I've had too many table trays where you open them up and there's like cookie stuff on them or whatever. Oh, yeah. They turn those. Well, planes we do that because so my son
1: has a peanut allergy, so we do that anyway. I thought you were going to say. I've seen too many people put like their dogs on the tray tables oh, or their yeah. feet on tray tables.
0: I, I generally yeah. just lick the tray table when I get on. The- it's a
1: smart idea. Just <laughs> to, know, like- It's the old school way of immunization. You just go fly and you like touch everything and lick your hands. and
0: Yeah. I'm
1: allergic to nothing because my immune system. So then it's, is- it's the George Carlin bit about how he never got anything bad because he <laughs> swam in the Hudson River when he was a kid. <laughs> He didn't have to get a polio shot.
2: <laughs>
0: Masterful comedian. Imagine back in the day if you could invest in like your favorite comedians and invest yeah. on them like doing better in their career, you know? Well, you can actually do that with the world's finest art, OG. Thanks to Masterworks for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Masterworks is the first our investment platform that allows you to invest in the world's most valuable paintings. I think this is so cool. Visit masterworks.io and reserve your shares there. Go check out masterworks. How would you like to, you know, you're walking through the Louvre and you go, yeah, I own that. I own that one. I own that one. Sure. You own a micro fraction of a share of that painting, but how cool would that be?
1: It's like when you go to Disney and ask to get in for free since you're an owner.
0: Here's something else. Recently, I was on Instagram and my favorite personal trainer that I follow starts talking about this thing called Omax. And I'd never heard of of Omax. And then Omax reaches out to us and says, hey, I've heard, Joe, that you're a runner. I know, OG, you've been doing that Peloton thing. Maybe there's something here. So thanks to Omax Health for supporting Stacky Benjamins. Omax 3 Ultra Pure is the purest Omega-3 supplement on the market. When you visit OMAX.com slash SB, got to have the slash SB on there. They're going to send you a free box of Omax 3 Ultra Pure with your first purchase. How about that? Thanks to... Omax Health for helping us. Maybe if I'd have
1: taken a few of those before I went on my airplane and ride, my immune system would have been a little stronger. <laughs> I was going to say, I just I just got back from the gym. You just woke up. We are ready.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We're ready to rock the base beer. Talent McNeely going to talk about paying off his house. But first, we got some fantastic headlines. So acapella style, Mitchell Walker from The Pouch Plan. Why don't you help us with our headline segment?
2: Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin headlines.
0: Not quite the same as the uh, "Hello, Darlings." It's
1: very acapella, though.
0: One is incredibly acapella and slightly northeast Texas, mm-hmm. very slightly. A bit. Thanks again to Mitchell Walker from the Pouch Plan for helping us out. That guy's a budget guru, and now he's a uh, headline announcer dude guru. One show only, though. I think, I think we'll go back to the old one after today. Our first piece comes to us from Kiplinger. This is written by Sean McDonald, a certified financial planner. Ten questions to fire at financial advisors. I thought this is good OG for the start of the year when people are thinking about their money again. There might be meeting with professionals here in two thousand nineteen. Sean writes, whenever I meet with prospective clients, they bring a list of questions to ask me. Few people, though, lob as many queries as they truly should. The problem is that many people don't quite know what to look for in an advisor. Choosing the right financial advisor for your needs is crucial. It's not just your money that's at stake. Your ideal future is too. The best way to learn how your money will be managed and if you can trust your advisor is to ask questions. So let me do a little role play. I'll play the role of a person shopping around for financial help based on my experience here are ten questions I'd ask and the reasons why. I thought the, I'd run these by you, OG. You know what's interesting about these two? I think Sean puts the nail on the head. You don't want to waste your time. You don't want to waste the advisor's time. Too often, I'm on some Facebook group and somebody is belittling the entire profession of financial advisors because they met with the wrong person, and that drives yeah. me. That drives me crazy. I'm like, really. Like, all bakers are bad because you had a horrible cake. All doctors are bad because you met with the goober. It's, it's crazy. Number one question he's got on here, what are all the costs and fees associated with investing? Yeah, good one. He says, when it comes to investing, there's always costs. Costs associated with owning investments, such as mutual funds and ETFs, as well as transaction fees for trading. If an advisor tells you there are none, proceed no further, except for the exit. <laughs> And it's funny because a lot of people who might be seasoned investors laugh at this, but there's a huge number of advisors, OG, that I have met their clients later who will look people in the eye and go, oh, no, this is free. No, no, no. There, oh, is, yeah. there is no fee there's, for this.
1: There's there's no cost to this one. Jack said that the uh, that the that all, all the fees are paid by the company, that I don't have to pay any of it.
0: The financial industry, Sean writes, is creative when it comes to fees, though. So this is a question you may need to ask several ways. Ask if you'll be charged front-end or back-end commissions. Also find out if any of the investments charge 12B1 fees. By the way, it doesn't make these fees bad. It just makes them fees that you should know about.
1: A lot of different ways for investment companies to, you know, get a little uh, juice out of the orange there.
0: Number two is how will you and your firm be compensated The fact is, we advisors don't work for free. Sorry, we charge for our services just like everyone else. The tricky part is that advisors can be compensated for their services in different ways. Uh, And then he goes over the different ways. We've talked about that a lot before, but just understand how your advisor is paid. Next one, are you a fiduciary? And get it in writing. Exactly, which here's the next one to get in writing. Are you a fiduciary? Explain that, O.G.
1: I think this is probably the most overused and under, under under understood. Under under beefed,
0: inst- under, 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 it's under, under beast
1: <laughs> Sorry, that's that's the uh, that's the Nyquil talking. <laughs> 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 You're only supposed to take six of those before you go to do yes. a podcast episode, right? L- lesson learned. I've had people actually tell me they've talked to their broker, and their broker said, "No, I'm a fiduciary," and I try to explain. Well, that's not actually possible based on the legal definition of it, right? If you're a broker, what does that mean? What's the definition of a broker? You are brokering a deal between two parties. That's exactly right. So whose interest do you have if you are a broker? Your own. Well, that that you could arguably say, well, I have some interest to get the deal done. But you are an employee of an organization. If you are an employee of an organization, if you work as a broker or more specifically, if your advisor does, or has the ability to do that. This is the tricky one, and this is the one that I think gets people into a lot of trouble is because there's this sneaky middle ground called dual registration where people say, oh, no, 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 yeah, I, I have that, but but I don't, I, don't ever, I don't ever do the broker stuff. I only do the investment advisor stuff. But the weird thing is, is they don't have to tell you if they change, they don't have to tell you mid-discussion, mid hey, I think you should do this, 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 and this. And the third this is I changed my hat and I became a broker and I'm going to get a killing of a commission on this. But I don't have to tell you that. Now, good people will anyway. But my point is, is that you can't be both. And so if you're licensed to be a stockbroker or if you're person is licensed to be a stockbroker. You just can't be a fiduciary. And that's okay. There's nothing that says you can't be a good advisor and not be a fiduciary. There's nothing wrong with that too. But, but just the definition is most misinformed.
0: Number four, I think this one is often overlooked. Who's your custodian? And I think this is important because Sean writes, you should never be required to give the money you're investing directly to a financial advisor. Think Bernie Madoff. Instead, there should be a third party, the custodian who holds your account and the assets in it. I love that. I can't think of a time in the whole 16 years I practice where anybody asked, who's my custodian?
1: Yeah, it's a little bit more popular now, but I don't see a lot of, uh, to be honest, I've never run into a situation where somebody's money wasn't at a, third-party custodian now yep. you could argue about whether or not there's tiers of them you know is, is fidelity better than schwab Is apex better than interactive brokers you know i don't know
0: but bernie madoff was holding client money and a lot of smart people
1: yeah handed it to him true but bernie madoff also had a full-on broker dealer company yeah so it'd be different if Joe Salcihi said, just make your check out to Joe Salcihi." I mean, I don't think people are actually making it out to Bernie Madoff. They're making it out to his company. Madoff and you know, Associates custodian for XYZ Madoff, Madoff with all the money. <laughs> 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 but uh, that was a Jimmy Buffett song. So yeah, third-party custodian is really important for sure. Number five, are
0: you credentialed? There's a few different ones. Obviously, CFP, Certified Financial Planner, CPA, Certified Public Accountant, CFA, Chartered Financial Analyst.
1: There's like 17,000 designations. And the important thing is to figure out what are the requirements for getting that designation. If it involves sending in $199 and uh, watching a 30-minute video, it doesn't really count in my book. How long
0: have you been a financial advisor? When I was a fairly new financial advisor, I thought this was not as important a question as people made it seem like it was. And I will tell you now, it's incredibly important because there were mistakes and emotions that I made early on that even I didn't know I was making them because I was too young, because I hadn't seen enough different situations or the same situation play out enough times where I knew how to handle it. I thought that, uh, that how how long have you been a financial advisor? Pretty important question.
1: Well, think of it this way. How many people have a decade of experience that have never had a recession or had to coach somebody through a recession?
0: Yeah, a lot of advisors there, this little shake we've had recently, this is their first rodeo, and this is it.
1: And they yeah, can... and it wasn't even a shake. Yeah.
0: Just, you
3: know. Num-
0: number seven, do you have any disclosures? It says if your advisor's any rulings against him or her, it's important to know what they are. You can find this information on your own. Go to government websites like the Securities and Exchange Commission Central Registration Depository and the one we talk about a lot, FINRA, Financial Industry Regulatory Authorities Broker Check. By the way, we have a link to Broker Check if you go to com forward slash broker check so you don't have to look all over for it. That'll take you right there.
1: Yeah, you just want to review the disclosure events. It'll tell you right on the front page if there are any and then why. Now remember, people have a lot of disclosure events, tend to be really good salespeople because they keep on getting jobs. So you got to kind of listen to their answers with a little bit of a grain of salt. One or two, probably not the end of the world, especially if it's a small dollar amount or something like that.
0: I've uh, said before publicly that I had one. I had one on my record. And it's it's a dispute. A client wrote about it. I wasn't allowed to put in my two cents afterwards. It's just there, what they said drove me crazy because frankly, and I don't want to get too far into it, just and not because I'm not happy to get into it, it's just a whole getting in the weeds, but I'm the one who told my client that this situation existed with their old advisor and not only did they file a complaint officially against the old advisor, they filed one against me. Thank you. I'm the one that pointed out that this was a problem and you filed it against me. So uh, it had to do with bad annuities, and I thought these people were getting hosed. Next, how will you invest my money, and what's your investment philosophy? I think it's really important, OG, to talk about investment policy statements. It's cool that great financial advisors have investment policy, so they get into times when the market starts you know, acting a little (laughs) negatively and they have this frame of reference. They're not navigating the water for the first time. They have a set policy of how they're going to handle it. And as a client, that should make me feel much more comfortable.
1: And that's why having this in writing is good is because when things get a little choppy, you can fall back on the decisions you made when you were not emotionally attached to your money at the moment. And you know, you don't need to have a
0: financial advisor to have an investment policy statement. I think, I think everybody should have an investment policy statement. And listen, if that's what the pros do, and that's what one of the many things that is the difference between a pro and somebody just, you know, working on their portfolio on the weekend, it's not hard to put what you're going to do in writing and follow it. Next, how often will we communicate? That obviously is incredibly important. And how will I fit in among your clients? I just want to hear the answer to that. These last couple of questions, OG, are actually my favorites because I think if you don't fit in with the rest of the clients very well, and if you're somebody who isn't going to work well with your financial advisor, who cares what their credentials are? Who cares how much they're paid? Who cares how they're paid? Like the very first thing I need to know is that you and I are going to be a fit. And then let's talk about this. So I would take these 10 Kiplinger things and I would flip them over. How are you and I going to interface? Where do I fit with your clients? How often am I going to? Are we going to get together? What's your investment policy? And then, what are your credentials? And then, how do you get paid? What are Yeah, I
1: like that because it's like that phrase: "How can we be lovers if we can't be friends?" If you're looking to establish a relationship with a financial planner, hopefully, it's for something longer than six months. When we talk to clients, we say. Hey, I'm going to be around for the next 20 years, God willing. And that means we're going to talk 40 or 50 times about your money. So we better make sure that the first one or two or three of these conversations are pretty good. Otherwise, numbers 47, 48, and 49 are going to really suck. And if we don't get along, if we don't see eye to eye on different things, that, that's okay. Yeah. Let's and, let's figure that out now because I got 20 years of career and you got 20 years of advice. And let's, and why waste, let's just make sure
0: that it's... Why waste everybody else's time? Why waste everybody's time with these other questions? Yeah,
1: absolutely. About fees and
0: Yeah, yeah. Don't waste. You know, I'm not worried about wasting the financial planner's time. I just don't want to waste my time by asking a bunch of questions about how you work. Yada yada yada. We get to the end. The guy's like, "Yeah, I work with people with six million dollars, and I've got forty-seven dollars." Yeah. Okay. Or I've got six million dollars, and the guy only works with people with forty-seven dollars. Or the person only works with engineers, and I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a baker or whatever. I don't know. Uh, Is that a stick maker. Yeah. Yes. Next, our next headline comes to us from the Washington Post. This is funny, OG. I'm sure you probably saw this. California man learned a $10 million reason not to tell your roommate if you won the lottery. Police say, did you see this? I did see this. Isaac Stanley Becker wrote this piece this past Christmas a man in Vacaville, California learned a grim but useful holiday lesson. Sometimes don't spread glad tidings. Keep the good news to yourself. It was December 20th and the city of about a hundred thousand located midway between Sacramento and San Francisco was festooned with white lights and toy reindeer hoping to get his hands on a bit of extra cash for the holidays. The Vacaville man did exactly what I would do if I needed extra cash. he a little went, side
1: hustle. Yeah. He,
0: he went to a lucky grocery store and paid $30 for a scratch-off lottery ticket that odds said would leave him at a loss. That's exactly the first thing that I would do. And by the way, if you don't think that the writer wrote that specifically, he needed some extra cash. So he went and bought $30 in scratch-offs. But the I ticket a
1: $30 scratch-off.
0: Is there such a thing as a single $30 scratch-off? Oh,
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, a friend told me that there are, but sure. That
0: there might be. But the ticket turned out to be a winner and promised to flood his bank account with $10,000, or so he thought. The lucky lottery contestant couldn't contain his excitement. He returned home to tell his two roommates of his financial success. You can see where this is going right now. He would rue the day he ignored the warning of Shakespeare's King Lear to, quote, mend your speech a little lest you may mar your fortunes. The next morning, he reported to the Sacramento District Office of the California State Lottery to collect his winnings. But the ticket he presented was not a winner. Suspecting mm-hmm. that one of his roommates had purloined the winning ticket while he was sleeping, the man went to Did the he local- He used home. like
1: thesaurus.com. It is- It's like typed in the word stole-, it, stole. And went, oh, I can't do still. I need, I need six more letters. What could I use?
0: You can just read. And I feel bad for this person, but you could just read the writer's glee writing this. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. and, and, and not that in some ways it is funny because really, really you went home and you told your roommates
1: that yeah. you had, I wouldn't tell my roommate that I won $10 million. <laughs> <laughs> I've been rooming with her for 17 years. Almost.
0: Mrs. OG would never know.
1: So, anyway. Oh, she'd know eventually when she got half of it. No, I'm just I'm just playing, baby. That's <laughs> had, not going to
0: happen. Had, oh, that's bad. Had purloined the winning ticket while he was sleeping. man went to the local police department, which recounted the episode last Tuesday on Facebook. Chris Pollan, a spokesman with the Vacaville Police Department, said authorities weren't naming the man at his request. It didn't take long for police to unwind the mystery the good <laughs> ticket gone bad. The following day, on December 22nd, the man's 35-year-old roommate, Abdul... Sousan Yang attempted to cash in a winning scratch-off ticket at the same lottery office in Sacramento police said but the winning ticket wasn't worth a meager 10,000 the roommate was told it was worth wait for it 10 million dollars oh boy California lottery officials yet to be informed that a ticket had been reported stolen nevertheless began a routine investigation conducted for all winning of Winnings of $600 and up, collecting a prize of such a sum involves submitting a detailed claim form, either in person at a district office or else in the mail, according to the state lottery. Lottery investigator who went to the Lucky in Vacaville to view video surveillance footage of the original December 20th purchase learned that the ticket may have been stolen, according to the police department's account. Theft of lottery tickets. I'd never heard this before. Theft of lottery tickets is relatively common.
1: I actually had that happen to me one time when I was a kid. I mean, not a kid kid because you got to be 18. But when I was younger, I had a, I don't know, $50 winner or something like that. And what they're talking about here, I was at the gas station. And I gave it to the cashier and they scanned it and they went, yeah, it's not a winner. I go, yeah, it is. And they, the guy goes, "Boop, no, it's it's it imprinted out there. Or no, he didn't say it wasn't a winner. said it already was cashed in. He goes, this has already been cashed in. And I said, no, it's not. I just... I just got it like at the mire over there and now I'm here. And, beep, and he printed off the little slip. He says, see, it says cash in. Best you can do is just file claim with the lottery office. I said, well, all right. Man, that sucks. Well, you know, I called the lottery office and they said, Oh yeah, the cashier took the money. He scanned it, saw it was a fifty dollar winner, told you it didn't win, so that when you scan it again, it comes up already claimed. Because yeah, and he, already scanned and He just it takes
0: one. fifty bucks out of the register after yeah, you says, leave. And there, yep. there it went. Wow! Does that story have a happy ending?
1: No, that's it. Too bad. So sad.
0: You got scammed by the person.
1: Yeah. What do you want me to tell you? I went over and like knifed him or something. What? Yeah. what kind of happy piece, ending are you looking for? I
0: I'll, met him in a parking lot. I'll link to this uh, later on in our show notes. Uh, but you know what? This isn't about the lottery. When you have good financial fortunes, when you get good stuff, I mean, I've heard you. You and I have all heard all the things after the holidays. All your high-end electronics that you got for the holidays or after CES or whatever it might be, you get this hot thing, taking the box and sitting it out by your mailbox.
1: Neighbors' mailbox. Ahead Neighbors, of time,
0: yep. telling it, well, Neighbors. I, yeah, yeah, but that might be number one. Number two, I don't know that I want to sit up, but I don't want my neighbor to get robbed. I'm just saying. I'm just kidding. Yes,
1: of course, I don't either. But yeah, you got to be a little bit smart about that stuff, right? You know, strategically place out your garbage. If you're going to, you know, you had a big purchase or something like that. At
0: least get the $10,000 in your bank account before you tell your roommate. Yeah. I mean, anytime that you have great news financially, no matter what it is, I might just think about it first. Yeah. And they tell you whenever you win the lottery, right? If you were the magic lottery winner that wins the billion dollar or whatever it might be, get an attorney first. Number one, number two, do nothing. Figure out what all your options are. See if you can claim it anonymously. I mean, they tell you that stuff for a reason. Look at how many lottery winners end up with bad stories afterwards. Just uh, And and it's not just the lottery. Anytime you have a financial windfall, any type of financial windfall, you got to be careful. I think that's lesson one. Lesson number two is as uh, read this Kiplinger list of questions to ask your advisor. I would flip them around, though. Go to question 10 first, flip those around. And I think you're going to do really well in your meeting with your financial advisor. Hey, waiting in the wings... We've got Talek McNeely upstairs, but just briefly before we get there, I'd like to say a big thanks to Masterworks for supporting Stacking Benjamins. I love the idea of investing in timeless art pieces. You know, we talk about how different investment classes work differently over different time periods. When you actually look at professionals buying art, they buy art differently than you and I do for their walls. Masterworks Art is an asset class itself. Listen to this. They've outperformed the S&P 500 by over 180% since the year 2000. Arts exhibited strong risk-adjusted returns over the last 20 to 50 years. Blue Chip Art, defined as the top 100 artists, has outperformed the S&P 500 by more than 250% without dividend reinvestment or 180% with dividend reinvestment between 2000 and the end of 2017. Art has a favorable risk profile relative to conventional asset classes. Art's one of the least correlated asset classes to the stock market, making it a great way for you to diversify. Historically, you you and I haven't been able to buy art because of the fact that who's got $10 million for a painting? But now when you can put your money in a fund with a bunch of other people to purchase art, that's where Masterworks comes in, you're able to get in on this asset class that historically we haven't been able to invest in. In the last 40 years, art, cash, and 10-year U.S. Treasury notes have the lowest correlation with U.S. financial markets. According to a recent study by Deloitte, 88% of wealth managers now recommend including art and collectibles in one's investment portfolio. And in fact, according to Deloitte's 2017 art and finance report, 88% of wealth managers say art and collectibles should be included as part of the wealth management offering. If you want to look at the pieces of art that Masterworks is offering currently, head to Masterworks.io and look under active offerings, and you can take a look. In fact, let's take a quick look. Og, currently it's an Andy Warhol that they're offering, a colored Marilyn. Remember those Marilyn Monroe's, the reverse ones where it's uh, where it's black with uh, red and the colors of the outline of of her face. Of course, Andy Andy Warhol, somebody that we know. They have a Claude Monet that is also out there currently. So blue chip art. See the disclaimer at masterworks.io forward slash disclaimer for more on Masterworks and how they work. Visit masterworks.io and reserve your shares. That's masterworks.io. Oh, gee, Talit McNeely is half of the team at His and Her Money Tallet is a U.S. Army veteran turned special ed teacher. He's a guy who has faced a ton of challenges in his life, and he's faced them all head-on, and that's uh, what makes me really excited about Tallet and his spouse, Ty. Uh, he, of course, came to his marriage with $30,000 in debt. We had them on a couple of years ago, he and Ty on, talking about the McNeelys paying off their debt and him coming clean about his debt and then how they work together as a family. They still work together on the very popular YouTube channel, their very popular podcast. And now, of course, talent come down here to the basement to talk about how he just paid off a monster mortgage in a very short amount of time with a big lesson about setting big goals and how to reach them. Let's say hello to talent McNeely. And from the hit His and Her Money podcast and YouTube and I don't know everything, coaching. It's Mr. Talent McNeely coming down to the basement.
3: How are you, man? Oh, doing well. So glad to be back in the basement. It's one of my favorite hangout (laughs) spots in the world. Well, we're so happy to have you here, especially now
0: because you're going to get everybody fired up here in January. You and Ty, well, tell everybody what you did because this is amazing.
3: Yeah. So recently um, we pay it off our house. And we did it in five years. Um, We set a goal when we bought our house five years ago. It was an audacious goal. Even when we set it, we weren't sure because our situation didn't look like it would be something that would be possible. But we decided to make an audacious goal and said, you know what, we're not going to keep this thing for 30 years. We're going to pay it off in five. And five years to the day from The date that we closed on the house, we walked into the bank with our kids and we made the very last mortgage payment. So in total, three hundred and thirty thousand dollars in five years, three
0: hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Yes, sir. That's incredible. But tell me, because you, you said at the beginning of this, which is the part of the story I find incredibly interesting at the beginning, you set this big audacious goal, but you just said that, you know, you really, you had a lot of things in your way. What types of things were in your way to getting that done?
3: Well, I mean, number one, the totality of what we owed on the home, we've never had a six figure income and we had this $330,000 house. So just me having a calculator in my brain, I'm like, you know, that's, such and such per year. How in the world are we going to do that? You know what I mean? And so we've always been goal setters. Number one, we have a history of setting goals in our relationship, in our marriage, and even as individuals. And we always set goals that push us. You know what I mean? Like we never set goals that we can obviously meet. We always try to set goals that are going to force us to have a new level of determination and focus. So uh, we knew that this goal Was kind of out there, but we also have a a track record where we've set goal. You know, we've, we've gotten out of consumer debt in under a year. We paid, you know, in our first year of marriage, we paid off over $30,000 of debt. So we have a history of setting different financial goals or different business goals and hitting them. Even though in the beginning, it seemed like how, you know what I mean? Like I think that you should always have those types of goals that is going to force you to become more disciplined, dig deeper within yourself, become better at what your craft, because you know that if you stay at the same level that you're at, there's no way you're going to hit that goal. So we knew that we had to do some things differently in order to hit it. And just in that moment, like you said, when we first started out, the best we could do, we knew knew, one of our, our things was that we never wanted to make a minimum payment on this house. Never, never. Because we know how it's set up. If you look, anybody that owns a home, you can pull out your amortization statement and you'll see that up front the first five to seven years of that statement. You're paying mostly interest and it's set up that way on purpose because the research shows that the average person or household moves every seven to nine years. And so mortgages are set up so that they can get the majority of their money up front, no matter if you move or not. They hope you move because when you move and you go into a new mortgage, the clock starts all over again and they get those interest payments up front.
0: That's why I I think, by the way, tell it that the refinance game is kind of. I don't know. I don't know if sketchy is the right word, but it's not the great deal you think it is. You just got done with five years of paying the bank and making almost no payment toward principal. And then you refinance to get a a 2% lower rate, let's say, but but you just added five years to your loan.
3: Exactly. Banks are not going to spend all this money advertising to you for refinancing if it doesn't benefit them. There is nothing that the bank advertises to you that doesn't benefit them more than it benefits you. So the fact that you see all these commercials about refinances on TV, on, on social media and everywhere, just know that they know what they're doing. And, and you, you as the consumer have to get into the position. Now, we talk about we have a course about paying off the home and all that. And one of the things that we do is we talk about is refinance a good idea? Every blue moon it is, but we literally ran the numbers like we were in the midst of our process of paying off our home and we had gotten it down so far. And we're like, man, will it make sense for us to do a refi right now? We have a lower payment and we can still be throwing this extra and it might have a bigger impact. But we literally pulled out the calculator, pulled out the amortization and we, and it just, it didn't, it didn't make sense. It was actually going to take us backwards. Now, I'm not saying that that's the case in every single situation, but In majority of the situations out there, the refinance is putting you backwards because you're restarting that amortization clock. So you can be on payment 92, but when you hit that refi button, you're back to payment number one.
0: I love a ton of of lessons I love there. But one big lesson is just do the math, right? Instead of of just saying, hey, this sounds better, do the math.
3: Yeah, because what they put, You know, and bright lights is lower payment, lower interest rate, and all that is fine, but there's more to the equation. Yeah. Because, like I said, you might be five years into your mortgage and 25 more to go, and you might have a 5% rate, and they say we can get you a 3% rate. Okay. But you have closing costs, and now you have to factor in. Another thirty years worth of interest, even from your new number. Think about it, Joe. We paid. Listen, we paid our house off. This this still kind of bothers me just a little bit. We paid our house off twenty five years early, and we still paid twenty five thousand dollars of interest. Twenty five thousand bucks. Still, the bank still. We paid our house off twenty five years early, and we still had to give them twenty five thousand dollars of interest. Bank still did pretty good, tell. it's a game it's it's not a game but it's it's not yeah. set up in our favor. No, not Even even the, think about it. Either way the bank wins, Joe. You buy the house, you're in the house 7 to 9 years, you move on like we all do cuz we're going to start a starter home and now we've got three kids and now we have to buy an upgraded home. So now they got the bulk of their interest up front from you and now you're going to another mortgage where they get to start over, right? Now, somebody else might say, "Well, I'm not going to move. I'm going to stay in my house." This is my forever home. Fine. But by the time you get to that last payment 30 years later, you pay for the house twice. Literally. Again, do the math. If you just pull out a calculator, even go online, they have calculators. It'll show you that you literally paid double. So they win in both scenarios.
0: That first meeting, I can imagine you and Ty sitting at the kitchen table and you talking about paying this off in five years. Yeah. I got to imagine there's a little fear there, Talit.
3: So... It was all on my part. Ty was like, you know, she had the faith to say, I think we can do this. And me, I just immediately, I'm analytical. I immediately started calculating. But as a good husband, I'm like, yeah, we can. Let's do this. (laughs) But on the inside, I'm like, how in the world? She think this is going to happen. You know what I mean? (laughs) And we started, and I, I want to encourage somebody because at that moment, like you said, that first meeting, and and this goes back to what I said earlier, we were determined at the very least we were never going to make a minimum payment. So when we pulled out the numbers at that point where we were, because there was a whole lot going on in our life right there, we had a new house, baby number three came two months later, I was starting a brand new job. There's a whole lot of new stuff going on. So at that moment, with all those transitions going on, the best we could do was to send an extra $20 on top of our payment. That's it. So we commit. We called them. We set it up to be auto-drafted an extra $20. We weren't going to so, be making this decision every month. That's what I was
0: going to ask. That's a key thing, too, I think, that I don't want to pass over, Talit. Mm-hmm. You didn't trust yourself to just make the extra nope. payment. You built it in.
3: Yep. We called them. We set up an auto-draft. Uh extra twenty dollars on a certain day every month, and we spent and for those listening when you do these types of things, you have to specify that it is a principal payment. You have to specify to the uh lender that this is an additional principal payment so that they apply it straight to the principal and it doesn't get broken up into interest payments and so we set that up, and that 's how we got started and just knowing that we were doing something it may sound like nothing, but it is something that was enough to get the ball rolling, even psychologically for us. It forced us to start thinking of, okay, can we cut back here? Uh, Can we redirect this type of money? Can we, like, even when I would get a a raise on my job, same thing. We called the lender and said, hey, we need to up the payment to this. Our lifestyle is still at the place where it was five years ago. You get what I'm saying? Like, even when raises came, we acted like we didn't get a raise and we called the mortgage lender say, hey, we need you to add this dollar to our payment. And so we just kept doing that. And we kept selling stuff. I mean, we we did all kind of stuff to find the income to throw at this mortgage, you know, tax refunds, you know, all kind of stuff. Selling
0: stuff like eBay, garage sales, that kind of thing.
3: Yeah. So it started with, you know, just things around the house like we don't need or that we don't use anymore. Then we got started to get creative. Like, um, my wife's parents are they were good with woodworkers and they had figured out that there was a certain era called like in the sixties or so, right? So today they call it mid century modern.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Right? Yeah. So I was literally driving around the thrift stores all over the Chicagoland area looking for this type of furniture and I would find it and I would have to fix it up. Uh, you know, sometimes it was damaged a little bit and sometimes it just needed to be cleaned up. And I would resell it so I could buy it for sixty dollars and sell it for three hundred you know a dresser uh, because it's it's real furniture it's not like the stuff that's made today, and our house is filled with this stuff because it it's the real deal, so we would find little things like that, we would uh, do the garage sales we would do mystery shopping i mean we we just did all kind of little side hustles to go along with the work that we already do just to squeeze every dollar. Like we, it turned into a game for us. You know, we were trying to figure this out. Number one, we we, we told people, like, we're going to do this in five years. And so we had to figure out how to get it done in five years. And so we just were just doing all kind of stuff to make it happen.
0: And, and I don't want to jump over that point either. When you said you said the goal out loud, mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that you and Ty said the goal out loud, I think is a huge thing more people need to do, because once you tell everybody that you're going to do it. Yeah. Y- you don't want to look like
3: an idiot. It's forced accountability. Like you should, like, even if you're not sure how, even if you're not sure that you can, you should at least say it out loud. You should at least post it on social media. You should at least start telling your family and friends because then people start checking in on you like, Hey, <laughs> how's it going? How's the progress? And you, and you know, it, it's sometimes you just need that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because when you have that, when you know other people know, it pushes you, it makes you want to say, man, how can I, What can I do? What else can I do? How can I figure this out? Because this was not easy. If we move back from the numbers thing, even psychologically, this became the full focus for these five years. Like we put aside so many ambitions. We put aside so many other things. Like we have kids. And so, you know, we would want to go to Disney World. But instead of Disney World, we just went to Wisconsin Dales. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we have to make adjustments, even though like financially we could have went, but then that would have taken us off our goal. And we just put a lot of things on hold. And there were times I wanted to give up and Ty had to talk me off the ledge and the, and vice versa for her because, man, it was hard. It was hard because every financial decision was was centered around this. Okay. If we make this decision, how will this affect the overall goal of being mortgage-free. Remember, we said we want to do this in five years. And so we have to talk to each other to keep, keep focused, even when you ain't want to.
0: For you and Ty, you have each other as fantastic accountability partners. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering about that talent for our single people in the mm-hmm. audience. I, I mean, I think the, the, the fact that you had an accountability partner is huge. Talking yeah. about you want to give up, she want to give up. What's your advice for single people out there to keep them on the straight and narrow and reaching a goal as audacious as this one?
3: When we teach people this, when we say find an accountability partner, sometimes we get the response of, well, I don't really know anybody that's good with money. Yeah. That's not the definition of an accountability partner in our books. In our books, an accountability partner is someone who will tell you the truth and who isn't scared of you. (laughs) So when you tell them this is what I'm trying to do, you're not able to sweet talk them out of holding you accountable. That's a good accountability partner. So you need to, again, you need to find someone who you can share this goal with and you know for a fact that when they see you out at the mall or they see you out at the game with <laughs> with, with the phone finger, and they're like, Hey, I thought you were trying to uh hit this financial goal. You you're not doing what you like. That's an accountability partner. They don't have to be stacking Benjamin's level, intelligent, but they should listen to the show though. And so that they can be, but they just need to be able to look you right in the face and tell you, you know, you're, you're not doing what you said you were going to do and you need to fix it.
0: Well, they don't learn anything. Listen to our show. We just send them to his and her money is what we do. That's how, (laughs) you know, we know enough to tell them to go to you to learn stuff. I want to ask you a question about that day in the bank, because mm-hmm. I'm just imagining the family walking into the bank. What was the response from the bank? Paint me a picture of what happened that day, that last payment.
3: So I'm going to send you a link. Uh, we actually live streamed it with our kids, put it on YouTube, and all that type stuff. They were cool. They were very cool. It was toward the end of the day, uh, just because I had to work and stuff like that. So it was, you know, it was really just us in there. Their president came out of the bank and uh, shook our hands and told us congratulations. And like, we made it a big deal. So, like, we dressed the kids up in nice dresses. My son had on a tie, I had my suit on. And we wanted to make it something, even though our kids are small, and and they didn't know what was happening until we got to the bank. We told them, like, today's a big day and it's a special day. So, we got to get dressed up really nice. We took them and we did it. And, It was amazing. They let us use um, their conference room so that we could, uh, we went on Facebook Live to tell everybody, uh, we in our bank, we just made the last payment. My son had this big old sign he was holding up, it's a debt-free house.
2: I remember Um, that. That was awesome.
3: We we just wanted to make it something. And one of the things, back to motivation for a second, one of the things that fueled us is we knew that if we did it, and we did it publicly, and and we told everybody that we did it, how we did it, they will believe that they could do it too. So we knew that we were a blueprint of sorts. We knew that if we set this audacious goal and accomplish this audacious goal, that more people's eyes will be open to what can be. Because it's like, you know, that that old anecdotal where the, the I can't think of his name, I think it's Roger Bannister, he set the record with running. Uh, yeah, the um, mile. yeah. And like, nobody thought it could be done until he did it. And then everybody started breaking it after him. You know what I mean? Right after. So sometimes you need to see somebody do something in order for you to believe that you can. And so that's what we're hoping. And and it has been like left and right. We're getting, we're getting these messages. Like, I didn't even think that was a thing until I saw y'all do it. And so now, now that's our new goal.
0: I love this idea though, is really celebrating your win, you know, not taking it for granted like you have these milestones along the way and you got to celebrate a little bit because it's so hard if you don't. And it's so worthy of celebration. I just, man, that day in the bank must've been awesome.
3: It was. And you know, what's really cool. It's a legacy that we're trying to establish for our kids. My mom lives in a paid off home. Before my dad passed away, they had paid off their home. Now we're in a paid off home. And so our kids will be, have two generations ahead of them who have done this. And so it, 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 hopefully will become like the standard for them. Like they won't want to do it any other way. And so that's the reason we wanted them looped in, even though they're small. Now we have video evidence that they, we can go back and look at it again and just to make them a part of, you know, they're, you know, because they had to make sacrifices too. You know, yeah. we were able to tell them like, this is why we did it so that we can get to this point. And, you know, it was, it was, it was a really special moment.
0: I'm out of time, but I have one other thing I just have to ask. What's the next big, hairy, audacious goal?
3: So the next big, hairy, audacious goal is to put our toe back into the real estate investing Uh, uh, world. We did that 10 years ago, and we know what happened 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And we have been traumatized. (laughs) Every sense, but we know that it's it's a huge, it's one of the huge cornerstones of building wealth. And so we're trying to figure out which direction we want to go. We're studying right now, you know, buy and hold, uh, tax liens, uh, you know, yeah. different ways that people go about it. So we're trying to figure out which strategy is is the most comfortable for us, and then we're just gonna start buying them up and building a portfolio.
0: And the cool thing is is we'll be able to all follow along in the his and her money community as yeah. as you learn and teach us all how it works. By the way, you said you have a course on yes, paying on paying off the house. How do people yeah. get involved in that?
3: It's simple. Crushmymortgage.com. Awesome. If you want to learn everything we did, we have hours and hours and hours. It's video teaching. We have calculators and, and worksheets and everything you need. It's not as hard as you think. It's going to take work. It's going to take effort and consistency. What you need is a blueprint and a plan to do it. And we give you the whole blueprint, the whole plan. We made it super affordable. You're going to cut your uh, time down tremendously. You're going to save literally thousands of dollars. Uh, Just go to crushmymortgage.com to check out all the details.
0: You're somebody that I feel like we never get to hang out enough. Thanks so much for coming back down to the basement, man. I really appreciate it.
3: I love hanging with you, Joe. Thanks.
2: Congratulations.
0: Fantastic
2: story. Hey there, Monster Hunters. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, dog, and welcome to my acapella version of the most famous part of this show, my trivia. You know, I was thinking we should have sold some acapella merch to accompany this podcast, but... You know, actually, now that I think about it, we'll save that for another time. You know, after this podcast becomes legendary and you all want to say I was there the time they went totally a cappella. I was one of the first ones, man. Well, here's some trivia whose legendary subject has spurred lots of merchandise and probably made loads of money for some people. You know, with reports going back hundreds of years, there's been plenty of claims and disputed evidence about this majestic animal, but nothing the scientific community calls definitive. Gaining worldwide attention after being reportedly spotted in late 1933, today's date marks yet another sighting among many spanning several months in 1934, finally spurring an expedition to definitively find out about the beast. Here's today's question. What creature fueled the world's imagination in 1934? You know, the longer we do
0: this, the more I think about my health. And actually, you know, the older I get, the more I think about my health. And I realized at that time, OG, when I was a financial planner, and I thought that I didn't have time to work out, if I could have like all that time back, that would be absolutely fantastic. And I want to thank Omax Health for supporting our podcast. Omax... 3 Ultra Pure is the purest omega-3 supplement on the market, and they, as I mentioned earlier, contacted us about sponsoring the podcast. And in in case you're unaware, omega-3s have been pushed as one of the healthiest supplements, but many have questioned whether... That might be too good to be true, right? People keep saying, hey, this is the best stuff. Over 75% of Americans don't get enough omega-3s in their diet, and you're probably one of them. So here's why they're so important to your health. They alleviate joint pain, inflammation, muscle soreness. We now live down the street from a gym, and I'm happy to say I'm not that person, OG. I live down the street from a Bob. I'm not that, I'm not that person who goes who, does, who joins a gym and doesn't go. I have been going religiously three days a week now for the first two weeks religiously weeks of lived here. at least on Easter and Christmas for the first two weeks <laughs> of lived here. Well, <laughs> I'll be here all week. I joined a gym in Texarkana and used it there too. And actually I work better with personal trainers, frankly, just because of the fact that if the personal trainer waiting yeah. for me, I show up, I actually do it, get a bond with that person. So anyway, it's super important. And for, for somebody who does the type of thing we do, well, you know what, no matter what you do, Looking at improving your mood, having better focus and memory, brain boost, cardiovascular health, and more. That's all important, probably no matter what you do. So if you're wondering what makes Omax 3 different from the other supplements on the market, because you've probably seen some of them at the store, but many of the top sellers don't have an adequate quality or quantity of Omega 3s for the therapeutic results. Omax has sold over 500,000 boxes of Ultrapure due to its cult following because of the fact the OMAX 3 Ultra Pure is almost 94% pure omega-3 fatty acids. It's a purest concentration on the market. Leading store brands, if you want to do an A-B test, only contain about 30%. It says here that OMAX has a patented EPA to DHA ratio of 4 to 1, specifically engineered for inflammation and joint pain. I don't know what any of that means. I just know that when I started taking the OMAX 3 Ultra Pure supplement, my workouts felt a lot cleaner my recovery was faster the next day. It helped me a bunch. But this uh, EPA to DHA ration of four to one, that's uh, over my head. Omax Ultra Pure goes through an intense distillation process in Europe to remove saturated fats, toxins, and PCBS. So you're left with Ultra Pure omega-3 fatty acids. Okay, I know saturated fats. I know toxins. I don't know PCBS. Sounds like a bunch of PCBS to me, bud.
1: <laughs> I don't. But it's not. It's all legit.
0: The important thing for me, it's clinically tested, certified, and sustainably sourced, so it's safe for you and your family. Go try omax.com slash SB today, and here's what's going to happen, different than if you just go to omax.com, put the slash B on the end. They're going to give you a little treat. They'll give you a box of OMAX 3 Ultra Pure for free with your first purchase. That's tryomax.com. It's not just omax.com. Try dot com slash sb to get your free box of omax three with your first purchase tryomax dot com slash sb terms and conditions apply comes with a 60 day money back guarantee so you have plenty of them to try and you can feel like i have the omax difference
2: hey welcome back all you excited adventurers in training i'm joe's mom's neighbor doug and it's time for my amazing trivia answer Before the break, I asked you this question. Gaining worldwide attention after being reportedly spotted in late 1933, today's date marks yet another sighting among many spanning several months in 1934, finally spurring an expedition to definitively find out about this beast, the one that fueled the world's imagination in 1934. So what's the name of this legendary beast? If you said... OG's mom, you'd be wrong, but if you said the Loch Ness Monster, or as I like to call her, my good buddy Nessie, you'd be right. Often described as having a large neck with a hump or two rising out of the water. Dude, this really sounds like OG's mom. Anyway, reports of Nessie have come in for years without anything conclusive. Much like the so-called lessons in this podcast, sightings are rare and definitely something to try and capture. Just imagine if you were the person who actually learned something listening to this show, you'd be like a bazillionaire. See you. You going after him?
1: That was a little below the belt Are there. You holy I cow. mean, I I got the I got the mom joke once, but wow. three times? Man.
0: Darn. That was harsh. That was horrible. I've met your mom. She's wonderful.
1: Yeah. She's not, not anywhere near a Loch Ness monster. She's, she's fantastic. More like Bigfoot.
0: I think, I think think you're the Yeti in the family. Uh, Yeah, could be. Right. Big thanks to Talat McNeely for stopping by. The thing I loved, and I saw you light up when he said it, OG, when he talked about setting these huge goals that you don't think you're going to get, and then pushing yourself to just work toward them every day. I that that is so inspirational to me. When you say, hey, you know what? We're gonna pay off our house in five years. How are we gonna do it? I don't know, but that's don't what we're gonna yet. but that's but what I'm gonna we're gonna do.
1: do. Well, there's some really big power in manifesting your goals, you know, writing them down, being committed to it, all that sort of stuff that you think is a little foo foo. I remember one time that I I did this goal setting exercise thing on a Tony Robbins tape. You remember like yeah. Tony Robbins tapes. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. tapes, cassette yeah. tapes. Yeah. And uh, and uh I'm like, I'll go through it, right? You got close your eyes and visualize all this other stuff. And anyway, I wrote all this stuff down, put it in my, my laptop bag, promptly forgot about it. Didn't think about it. Never looked at it again. Probably about 24 months later, I was going through my bag, cleaning some stuff out. Boom, here's this goal exercise. Every single solitary one of those things were done. Because you'd written and it I, down. Because I remember thinking like yeah. when I was doing it going, well, this is never going to happen. I mean, I'm not going to buy a house and a car in the same had like really crazy. I mean, this is like, you know, 20 years ago stuff, but you know, it's like, you know, I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want, you know, and all these things had already happened. Some of it is just the importance of putting it out in the universe and going, I'm going to figure it out along the way. So great. Absolutely
0: love it. Big thanks to Talent McDealer. Congratulations
1: by. on that. So I'd good. love to pay off. my. Well, since he doesn't have a house payment, he could maybe help you and me with ours. There's, hey, man. Well, we could get ours paid off in five years, too, with his help.
0: It just, uh, you know, everybody needs a hobby. Hey, let's let's throw out the Haven Lifeline, OG, and we're going to tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance
1: Agency, they put what you value first. Curing the flu bug. And also uh, paying off my house in five years. Amen. I like that. I like that. I'll take both of those.
0: It's your loved ones and your time. And both of those make it easier to spend time with your loved ones. It's why they've made buying quality term life insurance. Actually, super simple. Head to com forward slash havenlife now and you'll get a free quote. Their application is simple and online. Get an instant coverage decision right away. Prices are affordable. All policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, more than 160 year old insurer. And of course, your own and Brittany and the whole team over at Haven Life, some of our favorite people. And they say, OG, oh, when you surround yourself with good people, that's where it all starts. You can tell a good company when there's good people that work there. And uh, love everybody I've met over at Haven Life. Let's say hi on the Haven Lifeline. Throw it out to Colin today. Say hi, Colin. Hi, Joe and OG. I'm a relatively new listener to the show, and I've heard you mention multiple times that you don't like target date retirement funds, but I've never heard you explain exactly why you don't like them. I come from the school of Clark Howard, and he loves them. So for roughly the past 10 years, I've been dollar cost averaging approximately 20% of my income into a Vanguard target date retirement fund. I'm 32 years old, and I'm wondering if you think I should be doing something different any information you could provide would be greatly appreciated. Love the show. Thanks. Awesome question, Colin. And we haven't uh, talked about target date funds for at least 30 seconds. So it's time for us to, to right. go uh, rant on them again. We have good news for you though, Colin. You actually have probably a pretty darn good target date fund. So if you're going to go with target date funds, Vanguard is not what we complain about, OG, is it?
1: Well, no, there's two sides of it. and And really the battle isn't what, investments you use. It's actually putting the money in the account. So so you're 90% of the way there. We're talking about the margin stuff here. My biggest complaint with target date funds falls into two different categories. The first one is that pretty much all it is is a fund of funds. And if you're not careful, then what it consists of is two layers of additional costs. You can look at... Use Vanguard's as an example, although they're lower cost. You can look at Vanguard's target date fund and say, oh, well, it just has 71% of its assets in this fund, 19% in this fund, and 10% in that fund, or whatever the case is, right? Like You can look and see what the funds are themselves. So you're paying for the simplicity of not having to own three different positions, which can be helpful and can be worthwhile. But a lot of times, it's just extra cost. It's unnecessary. But that's not even the biggest issue. The biggest issue for me is that I just think that they get too conservative too quickly. And you can look at, well, I'm 25 years old. I've got the Vanguard 2060 fund. It's 85% equities. Isn't that good enough? Absolutely, you're right. And that's not my problem with it. My problem is the people who have the 2025 fund. And as Joe so eloquently always talks about landing the plane, target date funds are designed to have you be ultra-conservative on your retirement date of age 65. The problem with that is you don't need all your money when you're 65. Yeah, you need some of it. You need some of it when you're 66 and 67 also, but you also need some money when you're 95. And if you've got money that's in your investment portfolio that's designed for when you're 95 and you're 63 today, why in God's name would that be super conservative right now? My opinion about them changes depending on how you're using it. Yeah. Right. If you're, if you're a 25 year old and you're going, dude, all I got's hundred bucks a month to invest. I want to do something. I'll buy the 2065 all equity, get it done. That's totally fine with me. I don't have a problem with that, but no, that's not the end goal with it. I don't have a problem that 401k providers use those as the qualified default alternative plan. If you don't pick what your money is going to go in, then They pick this for you based on your retirement date. And thats I don't have a problem with that either because 90% of your investment plan is actually just getting money invested. But if you're going to take responsibility over it, at some point in time, you've got to work through the asset allocation and the risk profiling and things like that. And I think you can do that pretty easily without having to have that extra layer in there.
0: I'm going to go after the fees a little harder than you did, OG, because even though I understand that that's not the main dragon. A lot of people, it's very sexy to talk about fees, uh, a lot of talk about fees online. But in this case, I think that there are just some egregious fees because of the fact the average person who uses a target date fund uses one because they don't know what to do. I think there's a lot of companies out there that dupe people that use target date funds. So when you, when OG talks about fund of funds, I mean, you'll have a company that has a manager who's managing a bunch of mutual funds that are largely that same company. A lot of times companies will hock their sub-performing funds into a target date fund. It's like a restaurant. When stuff doesn't sell over the weekend, They Sunday brunch, they turn it into a salad with all the other crap that didn't sell. So I think that uh, Target Day funds can end up being a crap salad of a bunch of funds that just aren't the best in class. And you know what's funny is that I get and people, you know, give us pushback. Well, it's directionally OK. It's better. I get all that. It's just so easy to do it better. I mean, at the very least, if you're going to use a Target Day fund, go talk to our friends over at Bloom, you know, and have them help you. And the fee that you'll pay Bloom will end up being in a lot of cases, depending on how much money you have inside that fund, will be less money than you paid to bloom. On the other side, when you take a look at the asset allocation, even the funds that don't land the plane on the target date, they have what's called a through date, meaning they're not going to completely land the plane there because they know you're not going to spend it. This idea of being too conservative, even if the fund comes back and says, no, 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 we go through that date. Okay, they're still not landing the plane based on when you need the money. So reiterating OG's point there. I think the excitement, though, that you miss out from understanding how investments work yourself is, I think, what you what you really miss. with. It. And, and, and I get that you've got other stuff going on. You don't want to do this all day. Okay. You can still buy index funds. There's a lot of people who've got this idea, OG, that you just buy the total stock market index, right? The Vanguard VTSAX. We see that all the time. I think if I've got to take a target date fund versus buying uh, a single fund, and I have problems with that too, but I think buying the single total stock market and putting your money there, for a lot of people, if you can handle the ride that you're going to get by owning a 100% stock portfolio, and Larry Swedrow, I thought the other day, spoke very eloquently last Monday about that. So go back and listen to that. An all-stock portfolio is not a free lunch. There certainly is going to be some coping going on sometimes there and there's is no assurance that the market will continue to do what it's always done. I mean he pointed to Japan. We could at some point have our own condition that's that's like that. So it's not a free launch, but I still think directionally buying a single ETF is a better approach than than purchasing one of these suboptimal uh funds. But certainly let me tell you the ones the, the, the fun families and there's a few fun families we really like the Vanguard fund family, we're not talking about those funds. The Fidelity family, we're not talking about those funds. When it comes to fees, excessive fees, we're not talking about those funds. T Rowe Price, not talking about those funds. But man, dig into what you're paying for those target date funds, and also look at how that plane lands, and I think you're gonna you're gonna be much better off. Thanks for the question, Colin. Colin's getting the Haven Life Greatest Money Show on Earth T-shirt. We also get uh, letters down here in the basement. Our letter comes to us from Sean. Sean says, hey, Joe, and the other guy, first-time writer, last-time listener here. I'm a financial planner and often write reports for clients using different types of graphs and peripherals to present their data. What type of presented data did you prefer to show clients? Why do you think they preferred those methods? I tend to keep things to the point, try not to tell a client what they already know, but sometimes this happens anyway. I promise not to learn anything, Sean. Sean. That's cool. When using charts and graphs, OG, and illustrating, what do you like to use? (laughs)
1: That's really funny. You know, nowadays with technology, you don't have to pick what you want your deliverable to look like if you're an advisor, because you you can have a client that requires 500 pages of documentation, and you can have a client that wants a half a page summary, and you can have the same technology tool that presents both uniquely to each client. I'm much more of a high level type person and try to you know just talk about the the big things of are we on track for our goals and that sort of thing so I'm less likely to to get into the minutia with clients as to you know what percentage of our portfolio in a pie chart is in small cap value emerging market type of stuff but I understand that there's clients that do want that level of detail so so we have uh, we use a lot of technology now that is a little bit more on demand. You know, if somebody wants to go in and look at their portfolio, you know, how much money do I have in stocks versus bonds? Boom. How much money do I have in large companies versus small? Fine. How much money do I have in international small cap value? (laughs) Also, so what's, what's exact stocks do I have in that international small cap value and what is their percentage? We can also show that. But I think that's overkill for most people.
0: I liked setting annual milestones, the software that I used back in the day. It's been a while, but, The software that I used showed where my client needed to be every year, and we would then extrapolate based on what date we were meeting approximately where we needed to be to meet that goal, to meet that end goal. And if the market had gone down and we weren't on pace for the goal, we would then have a discussion about the different ways that we would make up for the hole that we were in, where we were behind pace. Or if we were ahead of the the game, we'd talk about whether we wanted to put the Pedal down, maybe get further ahead so we could stop saving earlier, make the goals more aggressive, maybe save more money or upgrade the goal, whatever it might be, or even slow down today if they've got other priorities. But obviously, if we slow down today and then the market slows down, we might go from being way ahead to being way behind much more quickly than we wanted to what that did for me was it focused the discussion on the things we could control instead of the crap we couldn't. I found that often clients would want to come in and they want to talk about, well, there's a government shutdown and well, the, uh, the, the federal reserve is doing and da, 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 all this crap we can't control. Those things weren't nearly as important as am I ahead or behind on the goal? And then what we would do, I mean, we would look at the investment portfolio and we'd see if we were performing above or behind our index, which was an index that was created specifically for them. So in other words, when people compare their crap to the S&P 500, the S&P 500 generally had nothing to do with their goals. So we would create an index that historically got them to their goal. And then I would compare how they'd done with that approach. And that really worked well for me when I was an advisor. I just, and I know, OG, I speak for you that, uh, you know, you want to keep those conversations on things that you can control instead of having an hour-long meeting about the Fed, about politics, about all these things going on that have nothing to do with stuff that you can change. You can change the investments in your portfolio, but should you? If the market goes down and your investments are doing better than than your benchmark is, then certainly the, your investments are pulling their weight. There's just times that you're going to have to make some tough decisions. Do we invest more money now? Do we lower our expectations for the goals? What do we do? And all those things we can, we can, uh, control. So good question there, Sean. Thanks for the question. If you've got a question for the show, head to com, And if you go to com forward slash voicemail, you'll go directly to the Haven lifeline where you then not only will help the show because I think hearing your voice is a lot more fun and hearing you ask your question is a lot more fun for us. That's why we reward you with the uh, greatest money show on earth t-shirt. One of uh, Brad Lark's best, best, best shirts, but also you can just go to StackyBenjamins.com and click on the link at the top. And that'll also show you how to just write a letter to the mailbag. Like Sean did from the additions department, I got a note recently from Christy. I love it when we get notes from our listeners. She wanted to fill in that there's several options for buying that don't involve the exchanges. That, by the way, is true, Christy, but it depends on on where you live. Depending on the availability of policies outside of the exchange, you're exactly right. So thanks for adding that. She said the main reason to buy through an exchange is if you qualify for a subsidy, The caller said he makes good money, so he probably doesn't. You can use the exchange to find out which companies offer individual plans in your state. After that, it's far easier to go through an individual company's website to research and buy individual plans directly from the company. I'm a sole proprietor, and that's how I've done it. And the plans are often better than those on the exchanges. Once again... Depends yeah, on your lucky, area.
1: If you're lucky enough to have an area that has it. Yeah, you're right.
0: Totally depends on your area. And yeah. I love it when people write in, and thanks for writing in, Christy. On a micro level, a lot of stuff works for, for our individual listeners, and um, and that's fantastic. She said, there's also insurance brokers who specialize in individual plans. Also true. You mentioned Texas. After a quick online search, I found several there. Finally, many people can find small group insurance through professional or other organizations. Uh, She said, please clarify this on the podcast so people know they have options. Thought we went over a decent amount of that, but wanted to make sure we clarified. Clearly, by the way, health insurance never was my strong suit, something I didn't deal with on a daily basis. And um, glad that we had input there. So thanks a ton, Christy, for that. That's going to do it for today's show. By the way, if you're someone we talked about questions to ask your financial advisor, if you're someone who's looking at making your financial plan work in 2019 and you want to take it seriously with a great financial team in your corner, OG and his team are taking clients, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG and that will get you on his calendar to talk about how you can work with them in 2019 and beyond. That's going to do it for today, Doug. Man, take it from here. Hey,
2: uh, hey, Steve, uh, fire up the music, would you? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 right, right, right. Acapella, acapella. <clears throat> so, what should we have learned today? First, take some advice from Talent McNeely: set huge goals and work to make them a reality. Hey, look, even if you miss, you're still going to accomplish more than you ever imagined was possible. Second, do you have big financial news? Maybe you should stay a little bit quiet about it. While we all hope our friends and roommates can be trusted, money makes people do really strange things. And come to think about it, having no money makes me do some pretty strange things. But hey, the big lesson, (laughs) I gotta say, I am a big fan of that ukulele in this show. I think uh, acapella podcasting might be just a little overrated. Special thanks to Talit McNeely for joining us today. You'll find his and her money wherever you're listening to this podcast, and you'll find their award-winning YouTube channel um over on uh yeah, you guessed it. It's it's YouTube. Just just go to YouTube. This show was created by Joe Sal produced by Richie Rutter Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at, at SBenjaminscast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I really thought doing these credits completely naked would have been a lot more fun than it actually was. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Check out my skills, Joe. Roll in. In my El Camino. Ragtop down so my hair can flow. Word to your mother. I told you OG wasn't the only rat master in the basement.
0: So I just bought a new-to-me car, and I don't drive very much. Uh, So I bought... Naturally, you got a Lamborghini. Yes, a Lambo, because I don't have to take it out a lot. I'm only going to drive it on super snowy days when there's heavy ice on the roads. No, I bought a $5,000 car, paid cash for it. And uh, I think on Wednesday, I'll walk us through that process. But I'm very curious to hear... About because you have seriously been in bed for like a week,
1: a week straight. Yeah, which like means I'm barely functioning right now,
0: which means heavy duty. People have no idea how many times we pause this so you could cough. So, nice, nice job pushing through. Yeah, the thing that always comes though when you're sick, I gotta guess, is a ton of like Netflix time. You must have watched a bunch of stuff,
1: got a lot of Netflix and chill time. Well, not the chill part, but just a lot of Netflix time. Netflix,
0: for you, it was Netflix and fever shake instead of chill. Yeah. Like you
1: went all the way. Chill's like halfway. Yeah, exactly. Like sweat it out. You got to do the, <laughs> remember, did you ever have did your parents or grandparents ever tell you to do that? You got to sweat out your fever.
0: I have to tell you on those days when I have uh, over imbibed, I like mm-hmm. nothing better than a really long run. A, to teach myself a lesson not to do that and B, because it just sweats out. Just. Well, that's
1: different. I, you can't sweat out the flu. <laughs> but, anyways, um, I just coughed up some of it, though. I don't know if you're. Yes,
2: that.
0: We, we, we're going to have Steve leave um, that one in there so people know we weren't joking. Yeah, <laughs>
1: mm, that's, it's that's
0: delicious the second time around. That's what I think. Thank you. I needed that. That's what uh, I had to endure this entire podcast that we saved you from. You're welcome,
1: mm-hmm. people. Yeah. So I, I watched the entire series of Jack Ryan. Yeah, um, and
0: we already talked about that on the show. I think when I watched it, what did you, you think
1: th- of it? By the way, I don't remember.
0: I really super liked it until the very end, which by the way is not a reason not to watch it. I thought it was fantastic. I thought that John, uh, what the heck is like Krasinski. John yeah, Krasinski. John Krasinski was fantastic as Jack Ryan. I really liked his boss. I thought he was a fantastic character. I like the yeah. bad guy because I. I like having an antagonist where I get their motivation and I get their point of view.
1: And he wasn't like a total jackwagon to everybody else just because he was a bad guy.
0: Yes, exactly. Like
1: he was like, oh, you, you know, he wasn't a cartoon. You want, you, he wasn't a yeah. cartoon
0: character. He scared the living hell out of me. But you, t- <laughs> you totally understood his motivation and where he was coming from, and I really enjoyed that part of the show. So I thought
1: that was great. Yeah. I thought that. When I, did you find out? There's a there's a part in there where you find out who the bad guy is, right? Yeah. Remember that part? Like, yes. it's earlier in the... Yeah. Like, how far into it did you go, oh, yeah, that's totally the bad guy, I can tell. Kind of saw it coming from the beginning. Yeah, I was really... I was actually pretty unimpressed. Most Tom Clancy books that I've read, um, not the new ones that are written by somebody else, but use the Tom Clancy name, because obviously Tom Clancy died, but um oh, but Tom Clancy so, books... Wait, wait you got to say spoiler before you say that. Yeah, okay. I can't stop. I can't put them down. They're really good. And the, and the movies were great. I, I just, I wasn't really like oh. engaged in this from a perspective of like thriller. You know what I mean? Like, no. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? No, it, it was just, just very, very methodical. I thought it was and, a I, very... and I agree with you. The very end, the end was very like, Oh my gosh, we got to wrap this up. And we only got an episode to do it. Uh, okay. So uh, we're going to have this happen. This happened, this happened, this happened and cut. So flat. You're like, wow. So okay. flat.
0: No sense Yawn. of crescendo at all, which yeah. by the way, it was building up to a huge crescendo. They're like, Oh my God, yeah. this is going to be huge. And then nothing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah.
0: I think that by the way, is a factor of one of the characters. And I don't know how much I should spoil this, but, but one of the characters they decided to have at the end of the, at the end of the show, I don't think that storyline worked the way that they wanted it to. There was, yeah. one, there was one of the characters that stayed with the bad guy. If you know what I'm talking about. And I yeah. think that whole storyline just kind of flopped. I don't think they needed yeah. that needed that in there. And it, it, and it also made it so that the ending was tamer than it could have been. Yeah,
1: it could have been way, you could have spun you know, that a thousand Do you know who times. I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. I think they probably should have not gone there.
1: Uh, I'm almost through both seasons of Ozark, which is like Breaking Bad. And I'm getting kind of tired of it also. Maybe just because I've watched like, you know, what? 24 episodes of it or whatever. Sure. Almost done with the second season. There's a couple more episodes to go, but it's very much like Breaking Bad. So if you like Breaking Bad, you'll like this. Very similar. Things happen. Oh, drug deal gone bad. And somebody loses a head. And, you know, how are they going to get out of this one? How's he going to, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then I saw uh, Operation Finale, which is that movie based on a true story about... The Israeli government, Mossad agents, trying to capture one of the remaining Nazi officers uh, in Argentina back in the '60s.
0: That I so wanted to see that it didn't come to the theater in Texarkana, Uh but um, and the previews looked really good. Ben Kingsley plays the plays the antagonist there, but when I saw the reviews, the Rotten Tomato scores were not great at all.
1: Yeah. This movie, to me, is very similar to that uh, Ben Affleck one where he's trying to... Oh, I love that movie, though. ...rescue from uh, Argo. Yes, Argo is fantastic. Argo. Except it's not the fantastic part. <laughs> so take everything from that movie that was really good and take that out. And again, they just missed the mark, I thought, on like the suspense. Because, y- you know, you saw the previews. What are they trying to do? They're trying to capture this guy in a foreign country who's being protected by the foreign government in some way, shape, or form, and they need to get him out of the country so that he can stand trial in Israel. Seems pretty, you know... Exciting. Exciting, yeah. And... It's not. Like Argo, there's the scene where, like, literally they're flying away. Yes. You know, they're, they're like, chasing him out the plane. Yes. Basically. That didn't really happen in real life, but that's... It was a good movie ending.
0: Right. Right. Talk talk about a good crescendo at the end.
1: Yeah. Like, building up to
0: that finish
1: was... Yeah, Yeah, it wasn't wasn't that. In fact, spoiler, I'll give you five seconds to fast forward. You're going to have to fast forward 15 seconds. If you've already watched the movie, the spoiler happens now. Okay. So, they have the, the cop chase scene at the very end, but then the cops get held up at the gate of the airport, so they can't, like, actually... Chase the plane onto the tarmac. It's really freaking stupid. Yeah, great. Great. And we're back from spoiler, back from spoiler, back from spoiler. Okay. All right. So anyways, so I'm going to go see another movie this afternoon. Figure I've got Ebola. Everybody else might have it too. <laughs> you know, make sure I touch a lot of things, cough on a lot of people.
0: I've seen, and, uh, I've seen a few movies also. We'll have to, we we'll to catch up on those. I saw Mary Poppins. I saw The Favorite. I saw Aquaman. I think we talked about did we talk about Aquaman yet? I don't think. Yet, m- so. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I saw those movies TV wise though. I finished Sabrina, which I thought was fantastic. <laughs> Sabrina, the teenage witch. You remember the show with Melissa Joan Hart, the campy, really campy show.
1: I never watched that.
0: No, they did it. They did a great job of taking the same show and make it a hell of a lot darker, but still really campy. I really didn't like watching the campy Sabrina show that was on TV. I read a couple of reviews about this, thought it was for me. Cheryl's like, really, you want to watch Sabrina? I'm like, yes. And it was fantastic. It was really, really good. Enjoyed it. And they also had a Christmas special afterwards. And you can tell it's going to be a continuing series and well worth it. Good TV to watch. Getting ready to watch Uhtred again, The Last Kingdom. Which is another thing that you totally love. Have you watched The Last Kingdom? No. Yeah, The Last Kingdom's phenomenal. Season three is out. Getting ready to watch it, and and it's funny. You know, I always say I'm going to watch Uhtred because they always do the preview at the beginning of every episode, and the preview always starts with "I am Uhtred, son of Uhtred, and my family." Da 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 da. And he goes through the same thing. So so Cheryl always would say as we were watching it, "You want to go watch Uhtred, son of Uhtred?" Yes. Let's go watch it. The Last Kingdom. Uh, and a couple... I think I told you when I first introduced you to The Last Kingdom, my brother-in-law, I told him about it. He was kind of like, yeah, that'd be okay. That was on Friday. On Monday, he texts me and says he binged the entire first season. I'm like, nice. yeah, yes. And he was way it's ahead of one of, of those, me. huh? Oh, it's fantastic. It just this time in history about the Vikings in England is such a mishmash of cultures. And it's a time you don't know much about and it's a great history lesson without taking a history lesson like Mm -hmm. you're you're learning about how they battled each other and how the norse gods versus the christian god and just these cultures right up in each other's face clashing and how sometimes they would be enemies and other times they would be allies and fascinating just just gripping tv love the last kingdom so getting ready to watch that again Should be
1: good. Okay. I got to go take some more uh, NyQuil. Yeah. Good luck with that.
0: Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month. And I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life, and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.